0: Such a good vibe to have you here, Sohan. Thank you for coming to our home. Thanks
1: so much for having me.
0: I think I first officially met you at West China Tea, your tea house Mm -hmm. in Austin. And that was such a beautiful, powerful day. Our dear friend Shiva was celebrating her birthday that day. And yeah, you came in and... I think that was the day that you talked to me. I mean, you were sharing a lot with us, but I think that was the first time I learned of that thunder or that- Thunderstruck. L- the thunderstruck to you? Was that yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a moment. And I was able to meet your little doggy with the one Quinn. eye. W- Quinn. Ren, Quinn. Quinn.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, Quinn. She's a
1: special puppy. Yeah, she
0: really a puppy. is. Yeah, a little seer dog came in. Mm-hmm. We were- just hanging out on the floor at Sohan's place at your family's tea house. And yeah, little doggie with one eye came in and she came, if I remember right, she either came right to me or pretty quickly. And I was like, girl, I, you know, I, I okay, yeah. we had a nice vibe and yeah, she is really special. And then I was able to have a full tea experience even more intimately with you at our mutual friends Kim and James place. And that was, man, I mean, I that was very impactful for me. I think there was something different. I, again, smaller group. There was just a different vibe that mm-hmm. day. And I was able to more fully understand you, understand the ways that, you've learned and Mm. passed to others. And yeah, I think I wasn't sure where I wanted to start today, but maybe let's start at this kind of unexpected place of that experience just to start to paint the picture and then we'll weave back into your backstory. But that day, even though I've sat in so many different what I call tea ceremonies, Mm. and we'll (laughs) we'll get to that as well, (laughs) this day was just so different. I'll let you kind of take it from here and if you wouldn't mind, I know there's so many different steps, but I'll let you share the steps that come to you so that people can start to wrap their head around what a guided experience with you is like. Absolutely. How do you even select the tea that you brought that day?
1: I choose based on how I feel. And when I feel into just viscerally somatically feeling into who am I going to meet? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And then the feeling of that. And sometimes it's just random, like that tea rain butter today that I just happened to have went on a rainy day. There's in, in tea culture, there's this concept called cha yuan, which means tea destiny. Mm. And so there's in Chinese, there's yuan fun, which is just a broad Chinese concept. And it means serendipity, destiny, synchronicity, kind of all these different concepts, but it's its own diff, slightly different thing. And in Chinese culture here, it's this like, oh, it's a, what a weird coincidence or like, or if you're spooky like that then you're like oh this there's meaning to this but in chinese it's not a far out belief to think that there's meaning in the way that things unfold it's just a force of nature like gravity
0: yeah yeah the web
1: exactly the divine web exactly. I-
0: over in china it's just more of an understood it's, thing it's
1: it's it's a, it's a baseline foundational understanding just like understanding breathing or that if you fall you'll if you fall backwards you, you instinctively get scared you know there's This built-in instinct around it because of the context.
0: Uh, You know, I'm unexpectedly going to this, this topic earlier than what I thought, but it seems to weave in, no pun intended, with this web we're talking about, is some of what you're saying why over in China you all don't really call it let's have a tea ceremony because it's just... It's a different experience for you all because it's just so woven into the fabric of your experience, and you don't view it as something separate. It's just like, can you explain a little bit?
1: Absolutely. So, I'm going to use an analogy. When I first moved to China, I was we were, I learned the word for yak because I lived in Chengdu, which is near Tibet, and there's yaks there. And so, we're talking about yaks, and I was like, how do you say yak? And it's Maonyo, which, if you translate it, it means hairy cow, is what it means, <laughs> right? <laughs> And I was like, but yaks aren't cows. Mao niu bushi niu is what I kept saying to my friend who was better at Chinese than me, but was American. And he was also an expat, but he'd been there for many years. And he said to me, niu bushi cattle, which means nyo doesn't mean cattle. If you go to the dictionary, the word nyo says cattle, but that's not actually what it means. What it exactly means, there's no word for it in English. Mm. So, a mao nyo, a yak is a nyo, even though taxonomically, biologically, it might not be in the same family that we would consider it cattle. This word nyo is broader. Even a rhinoceros is a type of neo. So, what does it really mean? Heavy, hoofed, four legged animal that eats grass. Got right? It. And so, Ceremony, the word ceremony is like that. We're talking about the word shaman earlier, too. Mm-hmm. This is the, the 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 really great thing about exploring things in different languages. And one of the reasons why I do put so much emphasis in my pedagogy, in my teaching about tea, I do include a lot of Chinese words. And it's not just for the prestige of being able to say the word in Chinese. It's because the word that we're using in Chinese doesn't have a translation in English. Mm. And so the same with the word ceremony. The word ceremony, there are different things for different applications in different contexts in China that together we would put under umbrella that is the English word ceremony. And then there's things that fall outside that. So the, it's not a perfect translation, I guess is what I'm saying. We have this box called ceremony and there's things that fit and don't fit into that box in China, but they don't have that concept in the language. Uh-huh. And so what we do when we sit for tea is very flexible. It's It can be a deep Profound meditative experience, like which what was we what did. I had with exactly. You. Yeah, or it can be a casual, like us having tea at your kitchen island down there, right before we started, right? Right. And we're just talking, we're not even really paying that much attention to the tea. But then you came up here and said, It feels so nice today. It feels nicer than it usually does. That rain butter, right? Exactly. That rain
0: butter tea got me.
1: Exactly. And it can also be this casual, like when Shiva was at the tea house, this casual, everyone's chatting, having laughing, having conversation and interacting with each other. And it can be that. And it's what you make it. So when we sit for tea, and just for anyone who's not familiar with what Gong Fu Cha is, who's watching, Gong Fu Cha is a Chinese style of tea service. It doesn't have any strict definitions or strict rules. But generally speaking, you're using a little bitty teapot. You're using little bitty cups. And you are steeping a large amount of tea quickly mm. and many times. So you've got a lot of tea leaves. You're putting it in a little vessel. You're steeping it rapidly, quickly. And then you're pouring it out and, you're, and drinking it. And you do that 10, 11, 12 times, depending on the tea. And it evolved just like when we were drinking that rain butter. It evolves from one steeping to the next. From changes. my
0: experience, yeah, it's most often, maybe even every single time. Yeah, every single cup that I'm experiencing is a completely different experience. Yeah. It, I feel something different. It elicits a different epiphany. The coloring is different. It's, I mean... I just want to take a moment and, ho- and place hold exactly where you're mm-hmm. at because I love where we are. I'm just so grateful that I'm sure other lifetimes I was woven into tea world as well. But thank God it happened again this lifetime because it has brought me some of my most joyful, most profound experiences sitting with tea. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so happy. It makes my heart so happy that it has such a place in my life. Yeah. I'm like a- Yeah. Like, I just could rave for hours about tea.
1: I get that. And me too. And then people will come into the tea house and they see it for their first time and they're having this experience and they'll be like, what's going on? Why do I have such a strong feeling about this? It's like confusing. Sometimes they're apologetic. They're like moved. Their emotion moved. Um, Sometimes people cry. And in those situations, people are like, I'm, they're like embarrassed that they're having this kind of feeling about tea. I'm like, don't be embarrassed. It's good. This is what life's about is having Being able to be moved by things and being receptive to things, being good and enjoying things and having spiritual gravity around things. And that's kind of the lesson of tea, really. You said everything's different. The color is different. The taste is different. The way that it feels. All of those things are a function of the degree to which you notice them. Mm
2: -hmm. Those things
1: are there, but they're there and you appreciate them because you are present for what you're doing. You took the time, you held the cup, you thanked the tea, you really centered yourself And the lesson of tea is that everything's better when you pay attention to it. Everything is better. Everything in the universe wants your attention. What's right in front of you wants your attention. Your partner wants your attention. Your child wants your attention. Your dog wants your attention. But the tea wants your attention. And the tea's whole deal is getting your attention. And it's not by hurting you. And it's not by being super, super strong tasting or super strong smelling. It's by being subtle and it draws your attention deeper and deeper into something subtle.
0: Oh, gosh. I just want to say what you said again. Everything is better when you pay attention to it. That presence, it really is. It's a game changer. And so I um, am preparing for today. I was reading up a little bit about gung Fu Cha and wondered what you thought. I I think I might have pulled this from a blog post or from a website you were a part of, so hopefully it's accurate. cool. It says, in its essence, gung fu cha is simply the careful preparation of a very strong brew of tea that is decanted and served at the peak of its flavor, but before it grows bitter or astringent. The Chinese term gung fu is untranslatable, but refers to the skill acquired through mindful practice of the server and releasing the natural attributes of the cha or the tea. And if that is completely or somewhat accurate, it brings me to, I'm so curious your thoughts on how much of a role do you feel the tea master or the person serving the tea plays? Because when Shiva, mm-hmm. you know, when I've sat countless times at what I w- would call her tea ceremonies, like you were saying, some people cry. I mean, so many times, like, I mean, I'm full on having shamanic experiences, crying, laughing hysterically. I mean, like, I, I go all sorts of places and I'm always just so reverent to her and thanking her because, in my opinion... I know that she's such a lovely being that her space holding, her presence is playing a role in this overall experience. and I would say I had the same you know you have you bring your own texture, of course, but I know my experience that I had with you at Kim and James. I feel I would attribute. At least part of that experience because of who you are and what you embody. What do you think about what I'm saying? How much does the person pouring and serving play in the overall experience?
1: That's a deep question. That's like a, that's like a deep tea server level question. Mm. And my goal when I'm serving tea is to get out of the way of the tea to facilitate as much as possible the character of the tea to express itself through the water. Ooh. right? That's my job. And when I'm teaching my classes, and I always tell people, sometimes you'll see people like Reiki the tea, You know, they'll put their hands over it and they'll breathe into it and stuff. And, and, and that's fine. People can do whatever they want with it. I teach my students not to do that because the more of you and your ego and your intentions that there is in the water, the less room there is for the tea to express itself. We're not making holy water. Making holy water is a different thing. That's when a person puts their intentions or channels some divine intention into mm. the water, right? We're making tea. And the tea is the star of the show. The tea is the teacher.
0: Oh, I love that. And that's what it says. The server, it works in releasing the cha or the tea. And so you're making me realize. Because Shiva has remarked similarly to what you just said, like in terms of getting out of the way to allow Mm -hmm. the T to express, teach, emerge, whatever you want to say. And so I'm having this like real time realization with you. So I'm going to try to put the words to it. Maybe that would be classified as the embodiment that I'm picking up on is the ability to get out of the way and not. Because some teachers and guides love to be the star of the show, Mm -hmm. and whether their ego's at play or whatever, I mean, a million things could come into play. But for the server or the guide or the tea master to have the skill set, the ability, the humility to remove yourself and allow the tea to be the star of the show... Maybe that's the skill and the embodiment that I'm picking up on in both you and Shiva is that essence.
1: It's a co-collaboration, Yeah, right? It's a collaboration. I'm doing my best to stand back and convey the tea, but that's based on my relationship with the tea. How many times have I had this tea? How closely do I understand this tea? Mm. Not in a cognitive sense. How many times have I drunk it? How do I know how it feels? So what we did at Kim's house is called the cascade method, right? So this is a particular method and I developed it. This is not something that I was taught, but I developed it based on traditional Chinese concepts around tea. And this is to bring it back to our original discussion. The Western audience wants a ceremony for tea because of this concept of ceremony, because of the associations with East Asian culture and formality, Mm. right? And because of the degree to which, as Westerners, we are very heavily seated in the material world, in science, in reason, in facts, in logic, all of those things, in this material mechanistic world that doesn't really make a lot of room for the subjective experience. And so the reason that the Western audience wants a ceremony so much is because for the Western audience, sacred and profane can't coexist you have to put it in a special little room. You need to be on a retreat. You need to be at in a church. You need to be in a mosque. You need to be in some particular place. But tea is supposed to be consumed out on the mountain. People always ask me, what's the best place to drink Chinese tea? Outside, mm. on the mountain where the tea was grown. That's, mm. You have the spring water that comes from that mountain. That's the best way to drink tea, if you're going to have a perfect setting. But really, Anywhere at all, because tea brings the sacred into the mundane. Mm -hmm. Tea brings, you stop just like us standing there in your kitchen. What we were doing there is no less sacred than what we were doing at Kim's house. There's less attention and there's less focus, but what's happening is still happening. There's a lot of value to the conversation that we got to have. It might not have been about tea. We might not have been focused on the tea, but the tea was in us and it was affecting us and it was affecting our conversation. And so When we say tea ceremony, well, there's reasons why we say tea ceremony in in the West is because the Japanese do have a, it's called chanoyu, and it it has been translated as tea ceremony for a long time. And I know that there are some, they also don't have this word ceremony in Japanese. It means hot water for tea is what it really means. But (laughs) you're kneeling on the ground, you're making matcha, powdered tea with a whisk in a bowl, and you whisk it and you drink it. And it's very different than what we do in gongfu cha because it's quiet, you don't talk, In China, people are talking very, almost invariably, people are talking when they're drinking tea. I've
0: done both. I've done the ones where, yeah, it's more silent.
1: There are are Western schools of tea service that practice silent tea ceremony, and they call it a ceremony, and they can call it that. There's no reason. It's not a Chinese tea ceremony. It's a Western tea ceremony. Right. Right. So in Japan, though, people do sit in silence. They sit on the floor. They drink. They take turns drinking from the same bowl. Of tea, and that's the Japanese tea ceremony. Again, not the perfect word for it, but it's definitely more accurate than calling Gongfu Cha tea ceremony. And the reason why is because in Chanoyu, this symbolic significance of everything is very important, right? The tea is important, but the scroll is important. The fan is important. The incense, the flowers, all of those things are super important. The setting, and it doesn't happen just anywhere, it happens in a chashitsu, which is a little room, it's really small it only sits four people and you sit on the ground and you have to kneel entering it. It's very symbolic, very Mm. rich in symbolism. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is A, because Japanese culture is just like that. They're very formal. They like that formality and that structure and Chinese culture is not. We encounter most East Asian cultural stuff from Japan because there are trading partners, allies, right? Whereas China is kind of not, but a lot of these cultural things are Pan-East Asian things that occur all throughout East Asia, and a lot of them start in China, tea being one of those things. And so tea starts in China, and it makes its way to Japan. And in Japan, it's transferred there by the Buddhist monks, because tea has always been used as a meditation aid by Buddhists, as long as Buddhism has existed in China. Tea has been part of Chinese Buddhism, and then from there, when Buddhism traveled from China to Korea and Japan... Korean and Japanese Buddhism, mm-hmm. and so you have this connection all throughout the East Asian Buddhist traditions that start in China, especially Chan, which we call Zen. That that particular tradition has been strongly associated with tea, and so tea went with monks to Japan. They would come to China to learn about Buddhism, and then they would come back thousands of years ago, and they would bring the scriptures, and they bring the Dharma, and they bring tea seeds, and they would plant tea, and that's mm-hmm. where Japanese and Korean tea came from. It was transmitted through this monastic thing. And then, and so it's very rare, only these monks have it. And then the emperor got into it of Japan and now the emperor's into it. And then everyone else got it from him, right? Everyone else got it. So it came from the top down, the clergy, the monarchy, those are the upper castes of society. And then tea makes its way down. And so it acquires this rigid formality in that clerical imperial context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it makes its way to the people. And of course, Japanese people nowadays drink tea, they steep tea, they they still drink matcha they in a more ceremonial way generally, but they do drink steep tea just like like we do all the time. But the way that Japanese tea culture is defined is through this tea ceremony. And so that is more like a ceremony because it does have these more specific rules and it is more formal. Why doesn't that arise in China? There's two big reasons. One is that tea came to japan through a bottleneck through the elite
2: uh-huh. and it
1: acquired that character there of of this elite character where it's it's very rigid and ceremonial in china tea grows up out of the ground and it came from the bottom up it came from the farmers first cuz uh-huh. they're the ones who grow it they're the ones who first and this is you know these are you've got these, these southern yunnan southeast asian ethnic what chinese call ethnic minorities cuz in china they're the ethnic minority groups who are first eating fermenting, cultivating, and and trading tea. Mm -hmm. And so there is no top-down control of Chinese tea culture the way there is with Japanese tea culture. There is no bottleneck through which it can acquire. And therefore, there's no one true lineage, so to speak. Whereas in Japan, there is. There's these lineages of tea ceremony. You can be ura-senke, you can be omote-senke, and you do things differently depending on the school. But in China, there are no lineages and there's no orthodoxy. It just grows up out of the ground. You go up a mountain and there's tea growing and there's a tea master making tea out of that tea. That's tea culture. That is an authentic expression of Chinese tea culture. It's the most authentic, to me, expression of Chinese tea culture. No matter what anyone says about it, that's where it really comes from. And so that's one reason. Another reason is that the goal, when you do sit in ceremony with tea, like in the Japanese tea ceremony and in the Western tea ceremony, like when people are drinking tea in silence out of bowls, right? That experience forces you into a room alone with tea. And it helps us to encounter the tea because if we as a Western audience aren't being compelled to encounter the tea, then we will distract ourselves because tea is subtle and our phone is not subtle. And chewing gum or a a jewel or whatever is not subtle. There are many more more aggressive uh, stimuli in our lives that are vying for our attention. And as a busy Western person in America, I know that I have to stop myself and make time to make tea. Right. Even if it's just in the kitchen like that, it still takes time to boil the water and it still takes time to drink the tea. Mm-hmm. And so what the value of to a Western audience of that ceremonial container is that it puts you in this rarefied space right. where you know that you're supposed to be paying attention. And in Chinese... And the central thing that we are encountering when we drink tea is called it's qi. That's the medicine of tea, right? With well, the part of the tea that we would call medicine, because it is a plant medicine. Just like the medicine of ayahuasca is the effect of ayahuasca, the effect of tea is the medicine of tea. And we call that in Chinese cha chi, the breath of the tea. Cha chi. Cha chi. And exactly. So when we like qigong, same qi as in qigong. It means breath, but it also means esoteric energy, life force. The air is qi, gasoline is qi. Qi oil is what they call gasoline. And they say the weather is the qi of heaven. When you say thank you in Chinese, people say bu ke qi. Don't have the qi of a guest. So mm. don't act like a guest. Don't mention it. It's a way of saying, no, no, you don't need to thank me. Bu chi. qi. Bu ke qi. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, exactly. And so the Chinese audience, not only do they have direct access to the environmental context and the cultural context that tea comes from, direct access, because that's where it's from. They also have this cultural vocabulary of thinking about the qi of things, of feeling the qi of things, of being cognizant of the way that qi flows through their own body, because that's Chinese medicine, that's Chinese martial arts, that's Chinese cuisine, that is qigong, that is literally, there's no aspect of Chinese culture in any way where you right. don't think about qi because it's just part of the way the world works.
0: And so it feels just, I mean, baseline is, isn't even the right way to describe it. It's like beyond foundational. baseline, foundational. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting how over here in the West, the I would dare say the vast majority of the population is just, yeah, so disconnected to these ways, these very foundational baseline ways of living and being connected to both realms. In shamanism, we have a foot in both worlds, Mm. the earthly and the astral. And yet over here, through however many hundreds or thousands of years, like that just foundational understanding of earth life somehow disintegrated away from the vast majority of the U.S. population. And so, yeah, I guess my hope is that even if for someone who has had a spiritual awakening or feels their soul tugging them into more esoteric ways and practices, even if the start for them, like you so accurately described, it's like, oh, in order for me to answer that soul calling, I need to go on a retreat. I need to go somewhere, a vortex location, and be with this healer, this light language guide, and have this experience, I guess my prayer would be, well, my prayer is always what's in the highest and greatest for that for that person. But alongside of that would be, okay, if your starting point is like going to a place that's called a ceremony, hopefully if you do enough of those going to a place to call it ceremony, you begin to understand that it's all a ceremony and there's no delineation, no separation, that it's all this web, this divine web that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to to say that. Yeah, You can continue with your flow.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And (laughs) I was going to say, all those things are retreats, vortexes, disciplines, practices, are material containers for spiritual things. What you want is the spiritual good, but the material container is all that you can purchase. You can't purchase the spiritual part. You can purchase the material part, and hopefully you'll be receptive to that spiritual good. Yeah, But it's not a guarantee. Getting into a situation where you want to help, like I am, my goal, my mission in life is to help people love tea, to help people love tea and to connect with it and, and feel the magic that you're talking about, that you feel so excited about tea and it's such a special part of your life and me too. Obviously, it's my whole life, mm-hmm. besides my family, pretty much, is my whole life.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I realized is that the reason people are so drawn to this concept of ceremony for tea, even if it's not the way they do it in China, is for the, what I just described, that we don't have the cultural vocabulary to encounter the chi of tea. And we don't have the attention span or the ability to focus on those subtle things by default, unless we set up this container Mm -hmm, for it. mm -hmm. Right. And so rather than sit in silence, which again, they don't really do that in China. That's, that is something they do in Japan, but it's not part of the, the Chinese tea culture. So I thought, what is part of Chinese tea culture? What do they do? Well, they taste the tea, but they're not just tasting it. They're feeling it. And they have words for the way that the qi of tea conducts itself through the body. Mm-hmm. And so, what we did, the cascade mm-hmm. method, yes. is a transit through the different stations of the body as they are expressed in Chinese tea culture. So, we started, remember, with the xiang qi, smelling the leaves and imagining the steam filling your skull and getting in contact with it. And then the hui gan, that the returning sweetness in the mouth, the ho yuan, the cooling sensation in the throat, the ti right. gan. The whatever you feel, the body feel, and that was
0: so profound. Like in all of the ways that I experience life and experience the other realms and all these different practices and modalities. Yet (laughs) when you directed us, you know, on whatever cup it was, to or whatever, and I forget verbatim how you said it, but to be present to the consciousness of the tea on specifically on the tongue. Mm -hmm. I mean, just that one direction and like doing, following that direction. I mean, just those two seconds where I was like, whoa, I've never had such a profound, truly present, connected experience to anything landing on my tongue as that moment with you, guiding us to do that. And I mean, just so, just imagine for the people joining us, and I'm sure there's some people that work with tea who are here listening. But for a lot of you, it may be completely new, and yet you're feeling something tugging you to to learning more. It, imagine if if I had that big of a profound experience from like a two second tea palette mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. conscious moment. Imagine the the entire experience, where the potential, where you can be guided and led, and also I can't remember what part. If it was just the smelling part or the tongue part. But at some point early on, I had that vision of like Mm -hmm. where the tea came from. And you said that that happens a lot, that you, Mm -hmm. the person will be transported directly to the mountainside or the farmland. You will see where that tea came from. And I specifically saw it.
1: I have done that with hundreds of people and I've seen all kinds of spooky stuff like in a cool way. It's Halloween time, so I'm saying spooky, but powerful synchronistic stuff to the point where I'll have five or six people sitting there and four of them. And so, and in, in when I do this as a class, we don't share our experiences. We write them down and then we share them at the end. So that they're written down and there's no way that what you say can influence what I feel. Yeah. Right. So we write them down and we share them at the end and the degree to which people's very subjective experiences, like what you're saying, like is corroborated from one person to the other without them conferring is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Five people sitting there and four of these people will be like, one of them will say, I felt like I was standing in a field. The next person says, I felt like I was a meadow looking up at the sky. The other person said, I felt like I was at the edge of a field. Another person says, I got a vision of an old timey wagon with a horse going through a field of dried grass. Yeah. And the tea doesn't taste like a field. It doesn't have field in the name. or And people will know things about the tea that they don't know. They will get these experiences from the tea that correspond with how the tea was grown, where it was grown, how it was processed. They don't know those details. Mm. And then at the end, they're like, oh, I saw this thing. I'm like, yep, that makes sense because this tea is... Exp- or for example, a tea will be called Dragonwell, and I won't tell them that. And they'll drink it, and I'll have multiple people be like, I saw a dragon right? And so that's the chi that when I experience that, and when I see people experiencing that, and I mean, again, hundreds of people corroborated across hundreds and hundreds of people. Oh, it's a lot of, you know, I'm not taking notes about it, but it's a lot of data in my head. Sure. And it's gotten me to the point where I am a hundred percent sure that the chi of the tea is part of the character of the plant that is independent of knowledge about the tea. And it is independent of other people's experiences. There is some archetypal essence in the tea that says Field or it lands in four out of five people as field. Yeah. Right. That's how it expresses itself. And so the cascade method is specifically using those concepts that Chinese people already have Mm -hmm. built in the way they feel. What I said is be your tongue. You are your tongue. Right. You're just as much your tongue as you are your eyes or any other part of your body. We walk around and we kind of think of ourselves as our eyes because we are such visual creatures. So who am I? I'm Where am I? I'm here. This is me. I'm looking at things. Well, it's my eyes that are looking at things, right? But we're our tongue also. You can 100% be your tongue. Really, we're we're whatever part of our body we're paying attention to. You're 100% as your tongue as you are your brain or your eyes. It's still you. Your brain is just a part of you. Your eyes are just a part of you. Your tongue is a part of you. But your whole consciousness can be in there. Yeah. And when we're going through the cascade method, we want to bring our consciousness to these parts of the body. And feel the way that the chi expresses itself in the different parts of the body. And the reason it's the cascade method is because it cascades from the most superficial part of the body, which is the senses, the sense of smell. It's not in your body yet. Right. It's outside your body. And then deeper into your mouth and then deeper into your throat and then deeper into your body. And then the deepest part is into your mind. That's the deepest part of your consciousness. The senses are the most superficial part of your consciousness, and then the what the subjective experience, the witness, mm-hmm. is that deepest part.
0: What about when you gave the directive to allow to be present to wh- where the chi splits off and where it goes? That was so trippy yeah. for me, and also so unexpected. I I had like a quick second before I took the drink of the tea, thinking that oh, I would guess that the chi would maybe go into my abdomen or my Sacral area or something, but I literally saw this like plated bone that I don't even know that I knew about like behind my nose Mm -hmm. and in my cheeks. And I saw this whole bone that exists in my face and the chi like split off and went into all the nooks and crannies like, yeah, behind my nose and behind my cheeks. And it was doing all sorts of things in there. I was like, whoa. And I mean, it's so clear yeah, there's no like, I mean, I saw it. I saw what it was doing. I felt mm-hmm. the 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 cheese split off and yeah. go right there. That was wild.
1: And what's important is that my direction is not now you will feel the chi do this. Right. That is the placebo effect. You can coach someone into feeling pretty much whatever. If you're a convincing person, you can tell people now you're going to feel the chi do this and they'll feel it. hmm. The cascade method is just about you being present with the parts of your body. And whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. right? Whatever it does, it does. And that's why I give people options. Like Feel the tea past your throat because that's the last place that the chi of the tea and the liquid of the tea are in the same place. Then they oh. split off from each other. The tea goes into the stomach and then the chi goes somewhere else. And that's the first station where we're getting into that Really subjective realm. We're diving out of the realm of the senses and into the realm of this super sensual experience of feeling something in your body. It doesn't correspond to any of the five senses. Yeah. Right? Because you're not actually, there's no liquid going up into your sinus. The chi is not going up into your face. The chi is going up into the your chi, face. Yes. And what are you feeling there? Well, nothing is touching the back of your face. It's a sensation. It's almost like a hallucination.
0: Yeah. Felt like to me, the intelligence of the, exactly. Of the tea. Exactly.
1: That's exactly what it is. It's the personality of the tea. It's the chi of the tea. That's the word for it. That's the intelligence, the personality, the psychedelia, the emotion of the tea, the spirit of the tea. Mm-hmm. We have all these words for it, but what's most important is what you felt is what it is. Mm-hmm. Actually, the woman who, who was part of the duo who made the tea we had this morning, Rain Butter, it's uh, his, uh, Li Lin's wife, Chai Chai Junchong. She will do this thing where she'll make us tea and she won't tell us what it is. And well, ask, sometimes she will and sometimes she won't. And sometimes, sometimes she'll make us tea. And if she just doesn't want to tell us, she'll just be like, we'll ask her what it is. And she'll be like, let the tea speak. Rang cha let the tea speak. And she'll be like, what is it? It's that. And she'll point at the tea. She'll point at the cup and be like, you want to know what it is? Drink that. And then uh-huh. you'll know what it is. I love that. What it's called is actually not what it is. What it is, is this.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: And that's how you know what it is. And what I love about the process of, of guiding people through this cascade method is that we go from this very quantifiable or more quantifiable sense of smell to taste to this feeling in the throat to this kind of ineffable, super sensual feeling in the body and then to this head change, this subjective experience in the mind. And it's a gentle walking people into this deep, dark water of the subconscious, yeah. you know, walking people into it. You're not diving in, you're kind of walking in and we start in the sense of smell and it's very familiar. And that's why that Xiang chi. I say, it could be a memory, it could be a vision, or it could just be a smell. If your experience of smelling this tea is that it reminds you of your grandparents, then that's what it is. If it's that mm. it smells like the earth when it rains and all it is is just a smell, then that's what it is. And if it smells like the earth when it rains and that reminds you of your grandparents, then that whole thing is Mm, what it is, right? right? And that's this kind of entryway. And the whole thing is that coming from the realm of the senses, coming from this somatic experience and allowing the chi of the tea to guide your consciousness deeper and deeper into your body until it points back at consciousness itself, right? And that's just something that I've discussed with Cass. And she and I have sat together. Her
0: episode will have just come out a few before this one. So Dr. Cass. Yeah, yeah. she's great.
1: We love her. She's amazing. And her training is in Taoism. And so she taught me something, which is that this concept of taking the spotlight of the mind and turning it back on itself to where you're focusing attention on attention itself, they call it turning the light around. Mm. Even before I knew that, I would use this example of a spotlight the spotlight of your consciousness is here. First, it's on the tea. Yep. Then it's on your nose. I say, be the smell in your nose. Then it's on your tongue. Then it's on your throat. Then it expands out to your whole body and then it transcends the body and becomes the experience of the mind mm-hmm. and the s- subjective experience of the witness. And that's what we're trying to do when we meditate, especially like Zen meditation, Chan meditation. We are trying to focus attention on attention itself. We're trying to be completely present with state of existence yeah, and it's hard to do that. Clearing the mind is not so hard. Keeping the mind clear is hard. Sitting in that vacuum of a clear mind is difficult uh-huh. and takes a lot of discipline and it takes years and years of discipline. And the tea, when we clear the mind, I think one of the big differences between what we did at Kim's and what we did this morning is that I, I prepare people with the meditation where we clear the mind. We take that backpack full of books and we hang right. it on the ice. And that's kind of this very gentle visualizing meditation but what it does is it clears the mind and it creates that vacuum and then that vacuum immediately wants to collapse we immediately want to start thinking about all of our stuff again our mind wants to wander and drift back to the mundanity of our everyday lives Mm -hmm. but instead there's this thing holding it open which is the smell of the tea Mm -hmm. then it's the taste of the tea Then it's the feeling of the tea in your throat, then in your body, and then in your mind. And what you're doing is you're holding this space open, that dark theater, right? You're holding this space open by focusing on the tea, but what you're actually focusing on is yourself.
3: Right.
1: You're not actually focusing on the tea outside your body. You're focusing on the manifestation of the tea inside your body. And we're going from this exterior place of the nose, deeper into the body, and then eventually beyond the body to Existence, the existence of consciousness, Mm -hmm. and so the T is taking us by the hand and guiding us deeper and deeper into our own consciousness.
0: Yeah, I mean, T is an infinite guide, teacher, friend, ally, and can do anything. I feel, but in listening to you, and I'm just having the realization that it can be such an ally, especially if someone is potentially newer to accessing the other realms, like just feeling and attuning to Mm -hmm. the shift of these different places of connection and consciousness. And also, just for an example, learning what it feels like to be working, to be coinciding with a benevolent spirit and letting that spirit potentially take the lead and teaching it can be such a opener for someone who's wanting to gain an understanding or have an experience for what is it like to hear a plant spirit speak to me? What is it like to connect to a realm other than earth realm? Go to West China Tea and have this experience and you'll start to trust yourself more Mm -hmm. or trust these ways more. I mean, it can be such a gift. That's just one of the gifts that I was reflecting on as you were experiencing, and we have a lot more that I want to get to. But I'm sure people. I want to pause at this time because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, "I want to do this cascade." Is <laughs> of course, if you're in Austin, you can go to West China Tea. And are you the only one facilitating this? Or are you teaching any of your other?
1: I'm training people to do it. I've actually trained a couple people to do it, and we're going to be doing them. Actually, we're doing them a couple different places. We're just we're doing them at West China Tea. We're doing them at Flow Yoga in December. Oh, great. We're going to be doing them. We're planning one at Casa de Luz, and then we do them at Within Clinic. Oh, great. Also. Yeah, uh, yeah. David's uh, place. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So,
0: a lot of really wonderful Austin locations. And then I know you do different online courses. Yeah. Or are you used to? What, yeah. like So, that's another way that people can learn Kung yeah. Fu Cha.
1: Absolutely. So, that's one of our main goals is not just to serve people tea but for people to be able to serve tea because it's 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 this transformative thing you go into the tea house and you're served tea and it's this transformative thing well okay making it that's the tip of the iceberg and the rest of the iceberg is the relationship that you develop with the tea making the tea preparing Mm -hmm. the tea developing your own relationship with the plant and encountering that in yourself but then it's a dialogue right when you're sitting there being served you're receiving the tea You're not speaking to the tea. The tea Mm. is speaking to you. But when I'm serving tea, I'm speaking to the tea. The tea is speaking to me. It's a dialogue. It's a discussion. And so that's our main goal. And so we have a whole suite of courses that are designed to facilitate people just starting off all the way to being able to use this cascade method to really deepen the relationship. And there's the intro classes static online. You can just go to westchinatea.com and Sign up for the intro class and you can watch it as many times as you want. Mm. Advanced class, advanced Gong Fu Cha, and then uh, the Cha Chi class, internal Gong Fu Cha, I still teach those live. Okay. So those are either taught by me in person in the space or they're taught online. And then we have added what we did together. I hadn't done officially at the tea house yet. It was still kind of in beta when we did it. Got it. And so I've since I was happy to be
0: your beta tester. Yeah,
1: no, I did at the maps conference. And a lady, random lady cried, you know, just there in, you know, at the party in front of everybody. And I was like, wow, this is good. You know, because I've been doing it myself for so long. And training people in it when they're like already seasoned tea servers, I'll train people how to facilitate it or how to do it themselves. But walking people through it in a way where you don't actually have to know anything about tea coming mm. into the experience. Right. Like this lady at Maps, she'd never done any Gong Fu Cha or any Chinese tea before. But So that experience is called Cha Chi, the breath of tea. And now that is an event. It's a, a class that is online. And I think the the first one is for the third Sunday in November, I believe. It'll be on the website.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just go to westchinatea.com and you have everything listed there, the calendar Mm, of events and things. So that would be a great place to explore. And also for anyone that makes their way to Austin or lives here, your tea house is so beautiful and there's so much to learn about in there and so many different teas to, to purchase. And I think I would love to hear from you Because, I mean, the landscape of how to select tea as someone who just wants to connect with it. But then there's this whole other part of it where you started to go to China to source. And when I was reading online, I learned you grew up, was it in New Orleans or somewhere in Louisiana? Born
1: in New Orleans, grew up in Houston.
0: And then you went to school in Santa Cruz. And that's where things started to really open up for you, right, in terms of your connection with tea and then you started making these voyages and i read this i think also in a blog post you said going to china is the soul of importing chinese tea in america it's all marketing accounting budgeting planning but china is electric everything i do in america is for the sake of what i do in china which is the exploring the searching discovering hunting it's the best part of being a tea importer and the hardest and i Would like to go into that lane (laughs) a little (laughs) bit, you know, what that is like. And I also from doing some research, I know you've had the full gamut of experiences. Like one time you went with just like kind of open space and you just kind of let yourself be led and guide. And then let's just say, for example, then once you're with your wife and you have your child, then it's like, okay, now it's a different kind of focus and zone. I'm going there. I have to be more organized. Mm -hmm. I know that I don't want to meander on this hillside for a week. I just can't even imagine those types of journeys, like what they're like.
1: I can't imagine them with my wife and child yet either because we haven't done it yet. And I'm excited to take them. I'm very excited to take them because neither of them have ever been. Mm. And my daughter can speak Chinese. You mm-hmm. know, she, I speak to her in Chinese all the time. She's two and a half, but she can speak Chinese. But I don't know what it's going to be like to be with them. Because first, I lived there for three years, right? So I lived there, and so it was home for me. And so I'm comfortable in China. It doesn't feel like a foreign country to me. I can speak the language, and I know lots of people. And even if I don't know someone in a place that I am, I probably know someone who knows someone or whatever. For me, it's not exactly traveling in America, but it feels very not like I'm a tourist or like I'm in a foreign country. Right. When I'm with Lindsay and Lark, my family, I'm going to be interpreting for them. And I'm used to interpreting for people because I bring my staff. I bring friends. I run public tours before. Before the pandemic, I brought some folks who came with me as an actual tour Uh to the T-Mountains because you can't just necessarily go to these places or meet these people without having that connection. But the baby needs what the baby needs. You know Mm. what I mean? And it's like my tour, even my staff, myself, my tour guests, we can all deal with it. It's like, oh, well, we missed that bus. Or the bus is late or whatever and we're just going to be sitting in this bus station for 10 hours while we wait for it overnight that's fine when it's me and it's fine when it's my team because they're here for the adventure and it's even fine with my tour group that i bring because i tell them it's going to be like that like we don't know what it's going to be like we are not going to well-infrastructured places we are going to places where there might not be great infrastructure and you might be pooping in a hole and you would definitely be pooping in a yeah, hole in the ground. A hundred percent for sure. You
0: will be pooping there is in a, a hole.
1: <laughs> I guarantee that's maybe the only guarantee that that comes with this trip. You will poop in a hole I in the ground. I love that
0: that's the one yeah. guarantee. <laughs> that's hilarious.
1: But with my family, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot more planning and historically in my life in general and in my tea journeys in China, sourcing tea, like you said, let myself be open to the chaos. Let myself be open to the serendipity. Let myself be pulled and brought to wherever I'm brought. By this force of Yuan Fan, Cha Yuan. So there's Yuan Fan, serendipity, and then Cha Yuan is a specific type, which means tea destiny. Tea mm. serendipity is a specific kind of, of Yuan Fan. And so I've let Yuan Fan and Cha Yuan really guide me. And in the, when I meet someone, they're like, oh, it's Cha Yuan that we met. They'll mm. say that before I even say it. They're like, oh, I'm a tea farmer. I'm a tea master. And you're a tea student. You're a tea importer. It's Cha Yuan that we connect with each other because sometimes we meet in a completely different context. Sure. But... And people always ask me, how do you source your tea? And so historically, it's just been Chai Yuan is what we would call luck in the West. I go to a place and I'm looking around and circumstances lead me to meeting the right person and or I'm connected with them through someone that I know. Someone that I know is like, oh, you're in Fujian, go here. This is my friend's place. And then maybe they're not the person I'm supposed to meet, but they introduce me to the person I am.
0: Right part of the divine connect the dots on yeah. your journey.
1: Yeah. And and people are like, how do you get source these teas? I'm like, which one? Pick one off the shelf and I'll tell you the story. Oh
0: my gosh, there's so many. There's a
1: lot. There's like 200 something.
0: Yeah. And even for someone listening who's drunk a lot of tea in their life, like from my perspective, when you start to get into these realms, like the way that you do it in your tea house. It's a whole different situation. That day, I remember unexpectedly coming home with like a bunch of red teas. And I that even just that alone felt unexpected to me. I'm like, oh, why, why am I being drawn and asking only about red teas? And why am I only feeling inclined to bring red teas home? There's so much to start to break down yeah. in tea world. What's an unexpected thing about tea? An odd fact or an experience that you've had that y- you're just coming to mind to to share a story and experience that you've had.
1: I mean, I guess the first fact that I want to share, and I realize that this was not established at the beginning of this podcast, but I, and this is something I usually open with whenever I'm talking to someone about tea, is that tea is the name of a plant. That's the, the 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 main fact that I'd love everybody to know is that tea is a particular plant, just like coffee or tobacco is a plant, just a particular plant. You can have herbal tea, which is made of other plants. It's not actually tea. It's, it's saying herbal tea is like saying vegetarian beef. Right. It's not beef. It's something that resembles beef. We might eat it the same way that we eat beef. So when we say herbal tea, chamomile or hibiscus or ginger or mint or mullein or something like that. that dandelion. You steep Dandelion, exactly. That you steep in hot water is an herbal tea, is not tea. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. Those are great. That's not my path, right. right? Herbs are not my path. Tea is one particular plant. And so that's the the fact that, and then green tea is tea, black tea is tea, red tea, oolong tea, white tea, yellow tea. There's six types. I mean, come,
0: Pu'er, does that fall in black?
1: Pu'er is two kinds okay. because shung pu'er, which is my favorite kind, is technically a green tea. And then shu pu'er, which we just had, is a black tea, but not what the British and the Americans call black tea uh, because that's red tea. So like Lipton Chai Earl Grey are called red tea. So the red teas that you brought home are going to be those oxidized teas. Oh, okay. Black teas in China, he Cha are fermented teas. And so Puar, Puar is, isn't a category of tea. Puar is like champagne. Champagne is not a category of wine. It's a type of white wine. It's a type of sparkling white wine. Got it. Puar is Puar because it's from Yunnan. It's from particular lineages of plants. The Da Ye is a particular land race of plants that have they're ancestral plants. They're very old genetics. They it's get very big and tall. It's probably my most favorite. It's I, my favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite. And Why is
0: it so wonderful?
1: I think that there's a couple reasons. One is that those plants are old. If it's good puar, the best puar for me is gu shu cha, ancient tree tea. And those tea trees can be a thousand years old or more. And I always say tea trees are like vampires. They're immortal. If nothing kills them, they will live forever. Wow. And the older they are, the more powerful they are. Mm-hmm. And what I'm and people always ask, oh, gushu cha, why is they'll be like, why is this cake of tea, like five times more expensive than this cake of tea? I'll say, well, this one's ancient from ancient trees. Like, oh, does it taste better? It doesn't taste any different. I mean, it tastes different, but it's not because of the taste that it's valuable. Right. It's because of the chi. And again, for the Chinese people, that's not some far out woo woo thing. That's what is in the tea. That's why we drink tea. Mm. If you smoke tobacco for the nicotine, you drink tea for the chi. This is almost a good way of thinking about it. What we want from the tea, the experience that we're seeking, is summed up by this word, the chi. And ancient trees make the chi better. And being seed propagated or a special breed of plant makes the chi better. And being processed by hand makes the chi better. The environment makes the chi better. What Being struck by lightning changes the chi, just like legong dots, understruck. And so... The fact that I want people to know is that tea is the name of a plant, Camellia sinensis. That's the tea plant and some of its sister species, some of its sister taxa. And it's the most popular, probably the most popular plant in the world because it's the most drunk beverage in the world. Mm,
2: Tea. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it is
1: the most consumed beverage besides water. Wow. In the world. More than coffee, more than beer. Wow. And I'm sure it's more widely used than tobacco because kids don't smoke and there's a lot of kids, but kids can drink tea. And if you think about it, Lots of people don't drink alcohol, observant Muslims don't drink alcohol, observant Buddhists don't drink alcohol, and lots of people don't smoke tobacco. You can't just make a meal and assume that everyone there can eat. Some people are kosher, some people are halal, or vegan, or carnivores, whatever. But tea, everybody can have tea. All over the world, there's no country in the world where tea is illegal. There's a lot of places where alcohol is illegal. You can't buy alcohol, you can't import alcohol. If you get caught with it, you get in trouble. But tea is consumed out in those places. Tea is definitely consumed very, very strongly, very heavily. It's very much part of the culture. Mm. And so that's my fact that I want people to know. Tea is a particular plant. It is the most popular beverage in the world and maybe the most popular plant medicine in the world. I'm sure there's more rice than there is tea or corn, but I'm talking about like plant medicine that we consume not for its nutrition, but for something spiritual, something deeper than just nutrition and flavor.
0: Wow. That's cool. And I'm curious about red tea for whatever reason. It feels mysterious. It feels like I don't know much about it. What's up with red tea?
1: Red tea is oxidized. Okay. And so green tea is unoxidized and red tea is oxidized. And you can think of it like this. You bite into an apple and the white flesh turns brown. That's the apple oxidizing. You cut an avocado and it turns black. That's the avocado oxidizing. But also you crush garlic, right? You, you massage kale or you massage basil, Right. you do that before you cook with them because it makes them taste stronger. That's because when you crush them up like that, you're oxidizing the antioxidants. All of those things are high in antioxidants, right? Okay. And when you see them oxidize, the antioxidants in them are oxidizing. The reason the antioxidants, one of the reasons antioxidants are good for you is because when you consume them, they're highly reduced and they act like a magnet for these reactive oxygen species in your blood, free radicals, right? Right. Free radicals are bad for you. They damage your DNA. They damage your DNA by oxidizing it antioxidants kind of take the bullet for you so that instead of oxidizing your DNA, they're neutralizing these free radicals in your bloodstream, in your tissues, in your body, okay. right? And so tea is full of antioxidants. That's one of the things that everybody knows about tea. And Green, the word
0: polyphenols, why am I...
1: Polyphenols are a particular class of antioxidants, okay. right? And the polyphenols are interesting because there's a lot of them in tea and they are... A lot of the most distinctive characteristic chemicals of tea are polyphenols.
3: Okay.
1: And not only are they antioxidant, but they actually do other things in the body. Right. So for example, EGCG, epigallocatechin-3-gallate is a big, big one. When People talk about tea preventing cancer, tea preventing heart disease. And again, not just whatever's steeped in hot water, the tea plant, there's a lot of research on it. And my background is actually in Western biology right. and Western medicine. That's where I actually come from with all this. So I'm very interested in that part. And I do a lot of research into that part. EGCG and, and its sister- chemicals help to repair your DNA. Not only are they stopping these free radicals from damaging your DNA, they actively are helping your cells to repair the DNA themselves. What a
0: generous plant.
1: And then when you oxidize those polyphenols into their oxidative products, when you turn it into red tea, they don't just disappear. They turn into something else. They transform. Uh. And so In the world of tea, four of the six types of tea are really kind of defined by their oxidation level. Green tea is unoxidized. Yellow tea is slightly oxidized. Oolong tea can be anywhere from 20 to 90% oxidized. And then red tea is fully oxidized tea. And that's what it is. That's what makes it what it is. And why do people make it? Because it's stable. If you have a high antioxidant tea, it goes bad because it oxidizes right? It's in this highly reduced state, and then it can fall down to be oxidized okay. because we're surrounded by oxygen. It's not going to reduce spontaneously. God. It's going to oxidize spontaneously. Once it's fully oxidized, it's not going to spontaneously reduce. And I so it, it's stable. So huh. that, and that's why we drink so much red tea in the West, because when the British colonized tea and brought it to India and started to grow tea in India, they had to ship it all the way back to oh, England. So and also stable. it takes a lot of finesse to make green tea well. And it takes a lot more finesse to make yellow tea or oolong well. The British developed a method called the crush, twist, curl, CTC method, which is an automated process that crusts, twists, and curls the leaves to oxidize them. And then they would cook it and bake it dry. And then they'd ship it off. And you end up with this really low quality tea because the leaves are torn, they're broken, they're crushed. But what it does is it produces a shelf-stable product. I see. Right. And that was their goal, is to produce a shelf-stable product of empire, basically to extract wealth from the people and land of India. You know, okay. when they're growing tea in India, they never actually colonized Chinese tea. They stole Chinese tea. A guy named Robert Fortune. Fun story. It's a whole adventure. Robert Fortune, a very Google interesting it if you character. Want. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> but that's why we have so much black tea, aka red tea in the West. Okay. But the type of red tea we're getting is not supposed to be good. It is supposed to be cheap, robust, high yield, right? That cultivar, the Assamica cultivar, wasn't that which was developed by the British to grow in India, uh-huh. it wasn't selected the way that Thunderstruck. Why was Thunderstruck selected? It was selected because it was struck by lightning and that gave it a particular character. Right. When you're selecting these breeds of plants in China, you're selecting for a taste, a smell, a feeling, a, a, some kind of attribute that's desirable. The British Indian tea plant Camellia sinensis variety Assamica, was selected for being a good product, being robust, being pest resistant, drought resistant, drought resistant high yield early something that could make a lot of money. And so our introduction to red teas is that we've had this kind of crappy black tea all our lives, which is in fact red tea that we're exposed to, which is basically like Hershey bar craft singles Mm -hmm. level of Mm -hmm. quality. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most of the tea that we have access to in America is very much this like Folger's crystals, craft singles, Hershey Lipton. bar, lip, yeah, exactly, without saying that that's uh, yeah, you can say it. <laughs> I'll say. It, yeah. <laughs> but the, basically this it's a commodity. It is not being treated with respect. Cacao, yeah. the
0: chi and the reverence is not the the main objective for that. No,
1: no, making money is the main objective. Right. And when you think about it, well, cacao is a sacred plant medicine, but Hershey's bars are not sacred. Yeah. I mean, you can treat them as sacred, but they are not being produced with the respect for the sanctity of the plant in mind,
0: right, right.
1: Tobacco is a sacred plant medicine, but Marlboro Reds aren't sacred. In fact, right. they're kind of a desecration, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of those toxic products that people make out of these things as right. kind of almost like a profaning of. Well,
0: these yeah, and you see it in all the different categories. How the origin and the actual plant medicine, plant spirit is, is healing and it's a guide and it's benevolent. But then when it distorts and gets taken through these other avenues and it ends up being a poison or a toxin yeah, because absolutely. yeah. Coca. Yes, Coca,
1: you yes, know. coca exactly. is a beautiful medicine. Yeah. Cocaine is a dangerous drug yes. with a high potential for addiction that can kill you, yes. right? Coca will never kill you. You're not going to OD and kill yourself by by chewing on coca leaves. Yeah. But it's because we want to take the value mm. The value is really holistic. We can't actually extract the value. Mm -hmm. In our imaginations, we can extract what's valuable from something. That's what our society does. We extract the metal from the earth. We extract the chemicals from the plants. We synthesize them. We replicate them. But the value is in the holistic experience of being present with the plant. You can't actually extract that. You can extract a chemical. There's a reason why people still smoke cigarettes. Not every single person is doing vapes now. Not every single person No one puts on a nicotine patch for fun or choose nicotine gum just for the heck of it. People want that plant. They want the connection Mm -hmm, to the
3: plant. mm -hmm.
1: And same reason people don't go around just taking caffeine pills all the time. People still want to drink coffee. They want to drink tea. Because my theory is that, like you're saying, when we take the chemical out of its chemical context, what is the chemical context of tea? Well, let's say you'd extract caffeine from tea. What's the context you're missing? You're missing L-theanine. You're missing theobromine. You're missing EGCG. You're missing theoflavones, flavonoids, theophylline. You're missing all these other chemicals, but it's not just these chemicals. You're missing the plant, right? the chemical context and the biological context. And so when we take the chemicals out of their biological context, then we increase their potential for abuse. We increase their potential for doing harm.
0: Yeah. And and what do we expect from these benevolent plant spirits? Like, And I might be the only one of us too that has this perspective, but I get really passionate about this, and I won't go down this rabbit hole because I've talked about it on a couple of other episodes. But I do get pretty fired up, and I have such an issue with some of these products that might have hape or kratom or these very benevolent plant guides and high-intelligent teachers. But then through how they are extracted and the person who is devising this product— this mainstream product that then has these medicines in it, but then they'll mix it with such and such. And and then maybe their ego gets involved and they want to become famous for being the first person to blend this plant spirit with this one, with this other chemical. And then from my perspective, and I see then, I stay away from those products personally for different reasons, intuitively, just listening to my own guidance. But then, then over the course of time, I'm not saying everyone has this experience, but I have witnessed a number of people getting really addicted or getting sick. And I'm like, what do you expect from these Mm -hmm. benevolent spirits of these plants when they're being abused and misused and mismixed? Absolutely. They're going to be bitch slapping to say, this isn't our way.
1: Absolutely. And that's even if the plant is the whole plant, when you take it out of its cultural context, you're still abusing it. Yeah, When you take, Lipton in tea in a tea bag is still tea leaves, but it has been taken out of its cultural context. You don't even see the leaves, they're invisible right. and it's dust in there. Yeah. You know? And you're so divorced from the reverence, the attention, the presence, the mindfulness that we experience when we drink tea, even just down there in your kitchen, having the leaves and taking the time and steeping it multiple times and taking the time to notice the tea you don't have to notice it at all. You can be sipping from a mug, just mindlessly looking at a screen, Mm -hmm. drinking it, and you're not going to feel any qi. Right. And because the plant's being abused, it's a low-quality plant, right? And the way it's grown. But even if it was good tea, if you're not giving it the cultural context that it's from, which in our case, in Chinese tea culture's case, gongfu cha is one of the cultural contexts in which tea exists in China. And for me, the one that is my main modality When you take it out of that, you can still enjoy it. And that doesn't mean that you can't be drinking tea from a French press and have just as profound an experience. But you are not going to be as likely to because Mm -hmm. the framework of that cultural context exists for a reason. The ceremony, the ritual, the structure, the discipline exists for a reason. And it has evolved over time in co-creation with the plant itself. The relationship between the plant and the humans who produce and consume the plant and work with the plant traditionally, yeah. create that cultural context. So the tea has told us how it wants to be consumed. Yeah. And that's just what we do. When we make tea the way that we do, this is what we're doing. And when we take it out of that context, we're already abstracting it a step. We're already yeah. one step towards it's that process. It's stripping the honor right away. yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, I was just, I used to get, it's one of the things I get most fired up about. And I'm in the beginning stages, so I'm not gonna share too much because who knows if it'll come to actual fruition, although I think it will, but I'm starting to develop ceremony circles first ingestible, honoring ingestible, I'll say (laughs) that. And and yeah, I'm already thinking just how the only ways that I know I will feel aligned and good about bringing this to earthly existence. And I know it's going to have to be done in such a particular, specific way for it to feel in alignment with me, the Ceremony Circle brand in general, because it really breaks my heart, if I'm just honest, when I see these products that incorporate these sacred teachers, these sacred plant essences and medicines, and like, there's just not proper due diligence in honoring, recognizing, stating what it exactly is where it comes from the first peoples that worked with it like do something to take it back to its origins and do something to have even a brief moment of bow and prayer for like how this product came to be like and i'm seeing a growing these types of products they are coming out into the world when it would make sense as more people are awakening and this new paradigm is birthing like It makes sense that there's more people wanting to bring these plant teachers into their products. But my greatest fear is, as Morgan on the marketplace, seeing that separation from the the honoring and the sacredness, it's like, oh my God, I feel like you cannot have this product without including this other piece. It's terrifying.
1: And when it becomes really pernicious is when you have someone not only... Selling the product, but also seizing control of the narrative of that cultural context.
3: Right.
1: My nascent podcast, Justice Cup, I've talked about appropriation versus appreciation. We have to be able to appreciate each other's cultures. We have to. We're all family. We're all human beings. This is our shared heritage. Right. But we also have to proceed in a respectful way. And I think there's not a good blueprint for that in a general society. And right. people oftentimes completely. They're just doing what they know. These people who are working with these plants in a disrespectful way, they might not be trying to disrespect the plant. All they know is, oh, this is a career. You know, this I've had this experience and now I'm going to turn it into a career because that's what we do in our society. It's right. like, this is this thing. How do we put it in a bottle? How do we make money off of it? And it's not just about making money. It's about this is how we consume things in the West. Me too. I'm an American. I grew up in America. This is how I consume things is it has to have a container. It has to have a package. And Mm -hmm. I think that the understanding that that abstraction of taking it out of the hands of the culture is one step from taking it out of the hands of the plant and taking that coca goes from being sacred to just being medicine. And then it goes to be in that you can buy in like an apothecary. And then it goes to being cocaine that you buy in a pharmacy. And all of that is this abstraction process. We're not going to respect the cultural traditions that surround this. We're yes. going to take it away from that. We're going to turn it into a product from medicine in plant medicine ally, spiritual vessel into dead, viable m- m- product that I can own commodify. And then from there into a white powder, you know, a crystal powder that, right. that that just gets it straight into your bloodstream. And you actually see that a lot in, in tea culture now in the West, where you have. People who are claiming this lineage, this is what I said earlier, there are no lineages in Chinese tea culture. There are in Japan, but there aren't in China, in mm. Chinese tea culture. But there are people, because they have this idea, and Western audience has this idea, that this is how East Asian culture works. You've got a guru up on the mountain, they know everything, and they have their disciples, and this is how you know the culture is transmitted. You see these strains of people claiming lineage and, and inventing new ways of making tea, which is fine. It's fine to do tea in a new way not being forthcoming in that this is something Mm, I invented. right? It's leaning on the reputation and the idea of ancientness and authenticness and spiritual connection as a marketing technique to make a product. right? And it doesn't mean that the product itself is bad. It just means that it's damaging to the cultural context of tea when we're misrepresenting that cultural context. When we're saying, I invented this thing, but I'm going to say I learned this from a mythical being who Mm. might not even have existed. And I'm part of this lineage and tradition that there is no, a lineage is my master's master's Mm. name was this and his master's name was this going all the way. That's a lineage. right? If you can't say the name of all the people in your lineage, it's not a lineage. right? Right, And, And like I said, no such thing exists in Chinese tea culture. But when we have Western people coming in and saying, I represent this lineage, which is fictional lineage, or it's a new lineage that starts with them and that's okay. It seizes control of the narrative, mm. the authorship of Chinese tea culture That's and says, so now dangerous. I own it. It's a big thing. And one of the reasons why I developed the Cascade Method is because the reason I see people really diving into that kind of a paradigm is because they want that spiritual connection. And Chinese tea culture isn't out there waving a flag that says spirituality, spiritual connection ceremony. They're just like, we're just drinking tea. right? Because for them, like we said, it's, br- it's like breathing they already have the experience of feeling the qi of tea. It's just the way that they live their lives. And because there's nothing for them in authentic Chinese tea culture, they go to these kind of reinterpretations and they don't know. It's not their fault. It's kind of misleading the way that these things are portrayed. Right. But they find themselves buying into these multi like retreats and courses and this whole curriculum of tea culture that is designed to help guide them to the spiritual experience of tea, which is valuable. There's value in helping to guide Westerners to the spiritual experience of tea, which is why the first thing I said when I was talking about the Cascade Method, I wasn't taught this. I invented this. What the Cascade Method is, is a consolidation slash interpretation of my experiences of tea culture in China for the specific purpose of helping people, specifically Westerners or non-Chinese people, get into touch with the chi of tea. And I think if we don't want to see the slippery slope of, okay, now we've got like tea jewels and we're vaping tea, et cetera, so to speak, we have to respect that cultural context. And we can't just say, well, I'm just going to make whatever unsupported claims I want to about Chinese culture and people are just going to believe it because no one's challenging it. And so being able to give people that spiritual connection through tea, and to guide them through what we did at Kim's house and having that kind of experience, which I think has a lot of value, and being able to give people that container because that's what they need is they need that container. And that's not bad. We talked a lot today about the differences between Western culture and Chinese culture, and I'm both. I'm a Chinese American, and there's a lot of things I love about Western culture. I love the individuality, the self-determination, the aspirational aspects of it. And we are all free to interpret, you know, tea culture in our own way. Right. Just being scrupulous about calling it what it is. If we don't right. want to deface something that we love, then we yeah. just have to be scrupulous about, about saying yeah, what things humility are
0: humility and honest self-honesty. It's just like and transparency. Yes. Yes. Also important. All right. Before we get to our, our closing practice, you all are in for a treat with this Halusa. Oh my lord. I want to talk about the bat
1: the tea set that we were using this morning has bats on it
0: beautiful yeah and you yeah. have that at west china we do we yeah, saw I, I yeah, 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 yeah i remember seeing that i love yeah, it
1: yeah, yeah so bats this is a bat on our logo most people think it's a mustache but it's a bat
0: i saw it right as there. a bat
1: oh good <laughs> <laughs> so story time this is here if you wanted a fun story about tea here i'll tell the Great. one that we share is that we were at kim's house and this is my first time really sitting with you kind of like in that more singular space yep. where we were in that container of really focusing on the tea and being in that kind of spiritual space. And I think actually that day I probably also had bats on my tea where maybe not. But anyway, uh, bats, I love bats just in general. I think they're great.
0: Do you have any cognizant understanding as to why or you just love bats? Like, I've just- always liked them. Okay. Cool.
1: Yeah. But I do know that I was exposed very early on to bats in iconography because they're good luck in Chinese culture. Okay. And in a lot of, when you see those kind of brocade designs, these very complex brocade, symmetrical designs in Chinese clothes and Chinese embroidery and Chinese art, there's usually a bat in there somewhere. Okay. There are these kind of like vegetal looking, like brocade, usually round, symmetrical, floral things. And there's usually bats somewhere in there. And there was a rug that I had when we were growing up that had bats on it, a Chinese rug my parents brought back from China. And so they had bats on it. And so I remember being a little kid like you do and being like, what is that? And then my dad was like, oh, it's a bat. Bats are good luck. And in Chinese culture, they mean good fortune. And so when I grew up, I grew up thinking of bats as good, not bad. Kind of in the West, we think of them as like scary or like spooky. I so.
0: love bats so much. And side note, because you guys can probably hear it with this new mic set up, Luke has these alarms go off. He's working on writing his book. And so he sets certain alarms to make sure he's like actually writing. And I heard him go outside. So we are witnessing my husband's um, book writing alarm (laughs) in the background for added bat ambiance.
1: It's like, just imagine that it's the bats echolocating.
0: Yeah, there we go. They're
1: looking for bugs. Perfect. I grew up thinking of bats as good. And then I learned that bats were spooky when I was older. And I was like, oh, that's cool too. I like that also. And I just kind of, they're kind of badass because they have that spooky aspect and and I just kind of always loved them. And bats are one of the reasons I moved to Austin because I, yeah, actually, I, this is funny. I'm from Houston, grew up in Houston, lived in Santa Cruz, moved back to Texas. And I was on my way back to New Orleans just for a trip. And I was with some friends of mine. And uh, actually, at this moment, I was right by myself. And I drove through Austin on my way through. And I was just passing through. I wasn't stopping. And I got stuck on Congress Bridge at sunset. And I was in traffic and I was like, oh, what are all these people doing here? And this was actually like, this is like 2007. You know what I mean? So this is yeah. like a long time. There wasn't always popular back then. And I was like, what is with this traffic? Like I'm just at a dead stop at 5 p.m. And then all of a sudden all the bats came out and like the still, I've still never seen the bats come out like they did that first time. Wow. It was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it was just like clouds of bats flying towards the sunset. And it was just, and I just drew that same image for years. Mm-hmm. In college, I was still. This is actually, I was still in college at this point. So I was on. I was on a road trip. I hadn't graduated yet, but I had this experience. And for years, I kept on drawing this image of bats, a cloud of bats flying towards the sunset. And that's part of what made me want to move to Austin. I was wow. like, that was like a magical experience because oh, I had
0: no idea. Yeah. And yeah, for. For those who don't know, yeah, Austin downtown, there's a particular bridge and it's known for these bat experiences and people flock to it to witness what Sohan is describing.
1: Yeah. We're Bat City. That's our nickname is Bat City <laughs> is Austin's nickname. And so there was definitely that kind of like peak moment, pivotal moment in, in my life where it really did guide me to here. I took that as kind of like a really powerful sign that this is somewhere that I want to be. And I made them the emblem of West China Tea right at the beginning. The old logo looked different. It was actually just the bat. Mm. It was like a little little round bat. It was like just the whole logo was the bat. It had some Chinese characters on it. It's a cute logo. It's like an early logo. And so I made that the logo of West China Tea right at the beginning because it's a connection with Chinese culture. It's a connection with Austin. And in I love that. West China Tea, originally West China Tea meant from Western China because originally most of my teas were from Western China, but now it kind of means China and the West Yes. Yeah, like the West and China. Now I have teas from all over China, not just Western China. And so it doesn't make sense to call it West, not, you know, call it for that for that reason. So in English, it's West China tea, meaning China in the West. In Chinese, it's Zhong Mei Cha which means Zhong means China, Mei means America. And mm-hmm. and so China and America, because that's my identity, I'm Chinese American. So the idea has always been to bridge. In Chinese, Chinese people who go overseas and then like come back to China are called Huaqiao, which means culture bridge.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. I just knew a little bit about your connection to that animal. And then the day that we had the experience together at Kim's, oh, when we were done Mm -hmm. with the tea, my animal power deck, they have them over there at the house. And then I asked you, I was like, oh, do you have my deck yet? And you said no, but we were starting to pull cards. And then of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was so funny. Everyone was pulling cards. My wife's pulling cards, Kim's pulling cards, your your castle's pulling cards, everyone's just sitting there pulling cards. And I'm just looking at the deck. And it was like the deck was missing cards. It was like cut and everything. And I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna cut it and pull off the first card. And it was the bat. Of course. (laughs) And then the meaning was facing your fears, which is a new association with bats for me. Right. But it was very germane at the time to what I was and still am dealing with, going through. And Mm -hmm. that was our your I forget what I think something you said at the beginning of our session that day was you said you were talking about leveling up and kind of the discomfort of leveling up. And that was very inspiring to me because I was in this state of discomfort. And that had to do with launching our nonprofit Justice Cup, which is when I said the podcast earlier is the Justice Cup podcast Mm -hmm. and putting myself out there and being vulnerable like that. It's uh, even coming here and doing this with you is very vulnerable. But obviously, like hosting my own podcast and being out there and and sharing these things with people and facilitating that space is very vulnerable when i'm serving tea and when i'm making informational videos about tea i can kind of hide behind the tea a little bit it's not about Mm. me it's about the tea Mm -hmm. whereas a a podcast really is more about you and your guests this one's definitely i'm talking a lot on this one but it's about you're creating the space for it you create the context for it you create the circle and it's what allows me to be here and be doing this and so that's a super vulnerable Place to be. And also, what we share on the Justice Cup platform on Instagram and stuff has a lot to do with when you get down to these things like cultural appropriation, like colonialism, like these, these very difficult and uncomfortable concepts. Right. And just the concept of justice in general. That glass vessel that we were using down there is called a Justice Cup. It's where you steep the tea in a gaiwan or a teapot, and then you decant it first into the Justice Cup, the Gongdao Bay. And the reason they call it that is because if you serve the tea directly into the cups, if I serve one, two, three, four cups, five cups, the first person to get served gets weak tea because the tea has just started steeping. The last person to get tea gets the strongest tea. So the first person gets water, the last person gets tea. And that is
0: an injustice. That
1: is an injustice. Exactly, it's a small injustice, but it's still an injustice. And so. We want everyone to get the same tea. I love and so that. that's why it's called the Justice Cup. And I love that lesson. It's a beautiful lesson. It is. And, you know, a tea is about being of service. People come and take my classes and they buy a tea set, not to drink tea by themselves. They take the classes and buy a tea set and go all in and get into this culture so that they can serve tea to other people mm-hmm. for the joy of being in service. Mm-hmm. And that aspect, without that aspect of justice, service is unequal. If you're being of service, but you're not taking the time to make sure that what you're doing is just and equitable, then you're just perpetuating the things that you're trying to heal. And so mm. this, these are things that naturally arise from tea culture mm-hmm. in a very organic way.
0: It can be so deep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I feel hesitant to share them on the West China Tea Platform because I feel like it expands beyond the borders of what a business is really supposed to do. Mm. When I see businesses getting too deep into social or political or yeah. spiritual stuff, then it feels like marketing to me, unless that's the business. But, you know, making tea accessible to people is saying there is this spiritual component to tea. And you can also just enjoy it as tea because some people get spooked by that. Right. Some people are like, is this a cult? No, it's just tea. <laughs> you can just enjoy it. It's just tea. And if you don't have to have visions or anything like that, you can just enjoy drinking tea and talking with other people. That's yeah. fine too. Yeah. And the magic's still there. Yeah. And, For me, the realizations that come from interacting with the tea plant and also being in a very diverse, cohesive community of the tea house itself and encountering all these kinds of different people sharing space together, which is the magic of tea and community. The magic of tea by itself is this deep, profound connection we're talking about. The magic of tea and community is the way that it brings people together as their authentic selves, showing up as themselves, not as who they think that people want them to be Mm. and My experiences of being in these spaces with the plant and with the people have brought me to this point where the content that I have to produce expands beyond the confines of a tea educator. Tea culture and the lessons of tea, my interpretation of those things, the lessons that I have learned from tea, really, I don't want to be putting those in that strictly business space because I don't want them to seem like dogma. Mm. This is my interpretation. This is not doctrine. This is my experiences that brought me here. And these are the insights that I have gained from that. And also our ability to do nonprofit activities like going and serving tea at women's shelters, mm-hmm. going and serving mm-hmm. tea, and not just serving tea, teaching them how to pour tea, oh, going to people that. who are getting out of prison. They've been in prison for 18 years. Love
0: that.
1: They need some way. To interact with people they need something to do with people that's not oh, drinking or, so or smoking genius, meth or whatever it is that right. they were doing that got them in prison
0: or even veterans they come back yeah, so disconnected yeah, absolutely. from their autonomy and oh that's so powerful can people donate t- to you we're
1: or... not a 501c yet i'm still in the 501c process so i don't okay. want to accept donations yet because i've heard that the, if you receive donations before being an official 501c then it makes it complicated to get your 501C. Okay, so so
0: how can, at this juncture, how can people best support or just wait? Follow
1: us. Go follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram is where that content is right now. Justice Cup, yeah. Justice Justice underscore Cup on Instagram. Follow us, and then it helps us, West China Tea, when people get into tea culture, when Mm -hmm. people, you can sign up for our class, you can buy tea, you can buy a tea set. That helps us, and what it really helps us, beyond just giving us money, It helps us because you're now enjoying tea. You're now making it part of your life. You're now sharing it with your friends and family. And you don't have to live in Austin to do this. You don't have to live in China to do this. You can live anywhere in the world and have a tea set and have tea. And all you need is hot water. And then you can do this thing and create this special environment and have this special experience that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who is out there helping to... Disseminate this Mm. culture is helping us, and especially if they're buying stuff from us, that helps us even more. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Amen to that. Well, this has been such a beautiful voyage. I knew it would be. So thank you for coming over here on the other side of town to to spend time in my home and to generously share so much wisdom and energy. And so what we're going to close with today is this very unique instrument. And I have only experienced it one other time via Sohan at Kim and James, and I was like pretty mesmerized and blown away. So we felt it would just be the perfect way to close out today's experience.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was great, and and I really appreciate the opportunity to get to share these things, especially with you, who's someone who already has kind of a context for this stuff. And some people have to start from the very beginning with tea, and some people have to start at the very beginning with spiritual concepts. And it's nice to be able to dive in with someone who's familiar with these things and mm-hmm. be able to go even deeper because of that. This is an instrument. It's from Yunnan in southwestern China, the same place where the tea that we drank today comes from. Beautiful. I got this one in a place called Banam which is in the southwestern part of China, right on the border with Burma. Hmm. And it's actually the city of Jing Jinghong, is actually Austin's sister city in China.
0: Right.
1: I'm the chair of the sister city board, I love the it. sister city committee, the itty bitty sister city committee. Yeah, that's it what we were joking <laughs> earlier. We're
0: like, uh, is that anything like the itty bitty?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Cause right now. It's
1: just me. Yeah, yeah. I'm the only one on the committee so far. So yeah, it's itty bitty. Uh, but this is part of the culture there. This is an instrument traditionally used by the Dai people. I don't know that they invented it, but they probably did because they sure play it a lot. But all of the ethnic groups in Yunnan, in Bana that I've encountered uh, will be familiar with this and will, will play this. It's a gourd flute, I guess. It's, it's, a, it's an instrument that has, it's got little vibrating like reed type things in here. They're not really reeds. It's like there's a, a metal band and then there's like a little tongue cut in it and the tongue vibrates when you blow through it. Cool. And this is a real gourd. This grew on a vine. This is called a hulu. Like Hulu.com.
0: Oh, oh, okay. But I feel like I've heard of the the Hulu or like that. That's what the name of the gourd is? That's what
1: the gourd is called in Chinese. The word for this object in Chinese is Hulu. Okay. And then this is bamboo. And so it's a very naturalistic instrument. It's made mostly out of organic matter.
0: It's so gorgeous. um, Plants,
1: not even necessarily like wood, wood, but bamboo and gourd. This has been hollowed out. It acts as kind of a reservoir for this. And this is where the sound is made. It's got a, a main voice and two drones. And you just blow through it kind of like a recorder. There's not a lot of mouth technique. And
0: the writing on it—is it always the same on each one? Or n-
1: this is—I can't even really read this very well. It's very low res. It's like C and C'd on there. It's very low res and kind of scrawly handwriting. And what Mei. about the
0: the tassel? The what's going the on? Chinese
1: people just stick this on everything? Okay. Yeah, anything that's like traditional Chinese culture, they just stick this on them. Maybe they, they probably use these on traditional hulusa just because they've always done that they they just like sticking tassels on stuff okay. um, it's this is a it's a harmony knot it represents like harmony and and because of its symmetry and the way it's interwoven like that cool so yeah there's there's symbolism to the knot to the tassel and to the knot but they also just you can just buy these at the store in china just slap them on whatever put okay. them on your car put them on your rear view and this is not like a canon like orchestral instrument this isn't like a cello this is like a banjo or something it's a folk instrument And what I've interpreted from my experiences with it, originally when I first started playing this, I tried to play songs and I wasn't really feeling it, Mm -hmm. trying to play like summertime or whatever. And I was trying to play a song. And the first time I really, really played it for real, I was skinny dipping in the middle of the night, full moon, fireflies, whatever, in, in the green belt. And my friend was trying to get a lighter to light and his hand was wet. And I was like, "Oh, let me play a fire song,
3: mm. like
1: like Ocarina of Time, like Legend of Zelda." Like they're in this beautiful, special environment, and he's trying to get the light. So like, I'll play a fire song. And so I played this song, and instead of trying to play a song and make it sound good, I tried to make it sound like fire. I tried to make it an offering to the fire god.
0: Oh, of and course, it was that's like, when it worked.
1: And it's and and then I was like, "Whoa, that was really." But I didn't open the drones. And I at this point, I didn't open the drones when I played because I didn't know how to play with them. And then I played the song and I'll hold the last note. And I ended and right as I held the last note, the lighter lit. And he, and the whole time I was playing, he's trying to light the lighter and it lit right as I finished. I was like, so epic. I was like, okay. Even the spark. Exactly. And then I felt compelled to play a song for the spirit of this place. Oh. And then I opened the drones and I played it the best I'd ever played it to that point. And so what I realized is that for me anyways, this is a very naturalistic instrument. It's not something you'll find in a formal band or an orchestra a traditional Chinese ensemble. And it's made of these organic materials. And for me, this instrument is really not a performance instrument. It's a tool for communing with spirits uh, and the spirits of nature. And I so that's that. that's how I use it. And so when I play this, it's always improvised. I do know a couple songs on it that yeah. I can play Happy Birthday. I play All Star, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to play those today. I'm just going to play improvisationally. And that's what I usually do. And there's something really special about the, the ephemerality of I played it, And it's that song, and it'll never come again.
0: I love that so much. Perfect way to close today. So thank you for bringing it forth for us. was a party (laughs) i was having a good time with that i just as soon as you started i was smiling and then i was going on a journey that felt very much like my tea experiences so i was like oh this is trippy because why am i feeling like i'm drinking tea while he's playing this and then toward the end i just to me i was feeling the celebratory nature of the ending so thank you for that madison
1: it's funny you say that because <laughs> something people ask me is, where does the chi of tea come from? Well, it comes from the plant. It comes from the people. And it comes from the place. And this also has chi. Everything has chi.
3: Right.
1: Nothing doesn't have chi, especially anything alive has chi. This gourd has chi and this bamboo has chi. And they were grown in the same place that, that tea was grown. Oh,
3: they're
2: all know. from
1: the same place. And uh, so it's the beauty of really coming to this view of the world that tea very gently opens you up to is that it's not just in tea. It's everywhere. Paying attention, it's like we were saying earlier, everything wants your attention. Everything is better when you pay attention. Not just tea, but tea teaches you that tea is better than when you you pay attention to it. Mm. And then we can extrapolate that everything is better when
0: you pay attention Mm. to it. Woo-hoo! What a ride. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: (laughs) So, wow. Thank you again. And thank you for all your devotion. Yeah, I mean, you opening up West China Tea and just, like, all of your... Trips to source and just all your co creative devotion with tea. It's very inspiring. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you to tea. Just shout out. Thank you, tea. Oh my goodness. Like I could talk for days with the gifts that you've given me. So I could cry over (laughs) the gifts of tea. So thank you, thank you, thank you, tea, with all my heart and soul from the deepest, purest places. And thank you all for sitting with us. Of course, as always, in the Instagram post and the show notes, we'll put all of Sohan's information, West China Tea's information, links to all the websites. Anything else left to say as we close out?
1: No, I mean, I guess we have a much more developed YouTube page that is specifically tea education called Mm. Tea House Ghost. We just won an award for that this past spring at the World Tea Expo. The Justice Cup is brand new, but that's more about strictly this tea education and and helping to learn about tea. So if we're talking and you have no idea what we're talking about, you're like, what is going on? Go watch a few episodes of that and then come watch this again. It'll make a lot more sense oh
0: we love it all and we're here for it all and thank you again soul fam and we will sit together again next time woo wee what a powerful voyage that was it is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time wisdom and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, allisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle Podcast Instagram posts at IamAllisonCharles, so it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all. If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal, and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love.